Hi, and welcome to Murder and Mystery. I'm your host, Summer. And I'm Lisa. Happy, Happy Valentine's Day. Day! Today we are going to be bringing you guys a special Valentine's edition of our Murder and Mystery podcast. And Summer, you're up. Okay. And I have a Valentine murder mystery. So this happened February 12, 1971 in Durham, North Carolina. 19-year-old Jesse McBain, a student at North Carolina State University, picked up his girlfriend, 20-year-old Patricia Mann, a nursing student at Watts Hospital. The couple's family described them as very loving and even said there was talk of an engagement in the future, but they wanted to get their education first. So they were trying to be responsible Do the right and thing. they were planning to get married. Jesse's family told investigators that he wasn't supposed to have had the car that night. Uh-huh. He and his brother shared a car, and uh-huh. it was his brother's night for the car. Okay. So, they weren't planning to go to this dance, but at the last minute, Jesse talked his brother into allowing him to take the car, and he was going to get Jesse's night. Okay. And so, he called Patricia, and they set it up, and they decided to go to the dance. Okay. So, Jesse and Patricia left the dance at 1130 that night. And they went back to Patricia's dorm where she signed out because she lived on the campus there. And they didn't have to sign out to go to the dance. But she signed out from the dorm to go out of the campus that night and indicated that she would be back by curfew, which they'd extended from midnight to 1 o'clock. Okay, yeah. So she was planning on coming back. The two of them worked at, walked out of the dorm into the cold, rainy night, and that was the last time anybody saw them alive. Oh, my goodness. So, Patricia didn't make it back on by curfew like she had planned. Okay. And so, her roommates were really worried about her the next morning because she had never stayed out all, overnight. It was if not she, a usual case. Right. Yeah. Okay. If she was going back home to see her family, she would let them know. So, they didn't know where she was at. They knew that she was going out with Jesse afterwards, and then she was coming back. So they felt something was wrong. Right. Uh, So they decided to go out and look for her, and they found Jesse's car parked in a nearby lover's lane. So this was er an area where they were building a new subdivision. Okay. So they had just, you know, cleared out the field and had these cul-de-sacs, but they didn't have any houses built. Okay. So, just an empty area, privacy. Right. And so, this area was where the nursing students would go with their boyfriends to be alone. Okay. Because, you know, they couldn't have boys in the dorms. So, they could go there. And in that time, you know, there were several roads and stuff. So, there were certain ones that they went to almost every time they went out. So, when they went to the one where Patricia and Jesse usually went, they found his car. The car was locked. The couple's coats were in the back seat, and remember, it was cold and rainy that night. But Jesse and Patricia were nowhere in sight. There was no sign of a struggle around the car. It didn't look like anything had happened. They had just locked up the car, left their coats in, and walked away. That's very strange. So the roommates thought that, too. Yeah. And so they reported the couple missing to the police because they didn't know what else to do. Yeah. But the police told them that just because they had only been missing for a few hours, they wouldn't conduct a search. Of course, yeah. Thinking, you know, somebody else could have come pick them up. You know, they could have gone and eloped. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of things that people were thinking. They were grown, so they weren't too worried about them. Exactly. So, they knew that this was out of character for the two, so 
they went ahead and called their families okay. and let their families know that they were missing. Okay. So at first, the family thought that they had just eloped. Like, you know, they were planning on doing this. Maybe they just took Got off. impatient. It was Valentine's Day. They just, the spirit of it, you know, they. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> right. But after a couple of days when nobody had seen or heard from them, they contacted the police again. And that's when they began to think that something more sinister happened to them. Yeah. And so finally the police began to search for them. And this search lasted for 12 days. Oh no goodness. sign of them for 12 days. Wow. So basically all the family knew was they went to this dance and left the dance. And the next day the and car was, was found and that was it. Yeah. So, on February 25th, 1971, a surveyor who was working to help clear out some more of the land for that subdivision uh-huh. um, was in a heavily wooded area just right outside of that subdivision. So, you had the subdivision that was on the edge of these woods and they hadn't finished they, clearing out yeah. all the woods. Okay. So, he was back there and he's working and he thought he saw a mannequin's leg. But as he got closer, he saw that it was a woman. Oh, no. And when he got up there to where this was, he saw a woman and a man right beside the woman. So these two bodies had their hands tied behind their back, and they were tied around a tree. So hands were tied behind their back Uh around the tree, and then the man's hands were tied behind his back around the tree where they were tied to the tree wow. by the same rope that was around their hands. hands. Okay. Um, so there were also ropes stretched around their necks. And because the two bodies were kind of slumped over, uh-huh. they were still tied to the tree, but they had slumped over and they were laying kind of partially together and they were covered with leaves. Oh. So you could tell they'd been there for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Later that afternoon, it was confirmed that the bodies belonged to Patricia Mann and Jesse McBain. Wow. So, 12 days later, their bodies were found. Um, They were right there, not very far from where the car was. Huh. So, it was kind of like, instead of being visited by Cupid, they were visited by Cupid's evil twin. Yeah. So, the medical examiner reported that the two had several strangle marks on their neck. And it was as though the rope that was tied around their neck had been loosened and tightened numerous times. Huh. So they believed that they had been tortured before they were killed. Oh, man. The news of the death was all over the television stations, radios, and newspapers, and reporters were calling it the Valentine's Day murders. Wow. So the couple, they were taken out of Durham County, but actually killed in Orange County. Okay. So... Because where this what hospital line. was, it was right on that county line. Yeah. And so they were taken from the subdivision that was actually in Durham County, but they had gone right across oh, into the woods, woods. That, was that was Orange, Orange county. county. Okay. So because of this, the both counties' police departments and the State Bureau of Investigation worked the case to try and find the killer. They interviewed several suspects. They used polygraphs. They collected evidence. But the case went cold. Of course, at that time, there's not a whole lot, you know. Right. I mean, if you hear that in the background, that's the dogs playing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A common sound here in this house. Yeah, this was in 1971. Yeah, so so we're not talking about high-tech, forensic, you know. Right, nothing like what they have today. Yeah. So, 
the two counties were working together. They used polygraphs. They collected evidence. But a lot of it, they had no way of really doing much with it. Yeah. So, there was just nothing else to do. Just completely cold. There, right. I mean, what else could they have done back then? Right. You know. So, all this evidence was just packed in boxes and put away. In 2010... Wow. So this was Jumping in 1971. Yeah. 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 In 2010, Carolyn Spivy, who was Patricia's cousin, heard a rumor about a possible suspect. Okay. She had never let the case go. I mean, this was her cousin. She wanted to know yeah. what happened. The whole family wanted to know what happened yeah. and stuff. So she heard that there was a possible suspect. And so this individual had actually been a suspect in the 70s. But there wasn't enough evidence to convict the person. Oh, wow. So she contacted investigators Tom Horn and Don Hunter. Okay. And they began an investigation to look into this new rumor and to look at evidence and stuff. And it took them four (sighs) years. Okay. So we're into 2014 now. Yes. So long after this happened. Right. Okay. But they began doing everything. They rechecked original suspects. They looked at new suspects. Yeah. Horn gave a presentation at the police department and, you know, presented all the evidence that they had in these boxes. Yeah. There was a lot of evidence that had not been shared between the different agencies. So when they got boxes from these two different counties... They found that evidence that was collected in one county and was looked into in one county wasn't, wasn't even known to the other. Wow. And stuff. So because of that, you there didn't were... get a full picture. There wasn't right. a full a full picture of what happened. Wow. Right. Just because of jurisdiction. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, when they were given all of this, they started getting new theories emerge. And one of these theories included a person of interest from the original case. He was a doctor that worked at Watts Hospital where Patricia was a nursing student. Okay. And he knew Patricia. He was still alive, and so they requested that he take a lie detector test and give DNA samples. Uh Uh-huh. But this doctor contacted a lawyer and then refused to cooperate with the investigation. Wow. So the investigators attempted to pull DNA out of the ropes that had bound the couple couple uh-huh. but so far they haven't found any matches to those dna wow. and as of right now that case is still cold my goodness so all these years later they don't know they still have no idea no. what happened man so they were i guess abducted outside of the car i don't know there's nobody knows what happened what got them out of the car so that they could be yeah. taken but Something happened. I mean, but, I mean, if we're going on, like, wild theories and this guy, if she knew this doctor and he came up to them for some reason, whether he liked her maybe or, you know, had been stalking her or, you know. Yeah, you never know. But if you find a familiar person out there that you're comfortable with and they ask you, oh, come help me. Exactly. You're going to run. You're going to, you know, you're going to get out of your vehicle and feel like you can trust that person. Right. But, I mean, the locking the car behind you showed that they probably followed someone somewhere. Exactly. Or he came back and locked the doors and made sure that there wasn't any evidence. Something like that. Wow. So, yeah. That's That's my story of the Valentine's Day murder. Valentine's Day massacre, huh? Yeah. Huh. 
Okay, well, I'm going to get right into mine, and mine is a missing person, a missing person's mystery. Okay. Um, this is over in jolly old England that this happened. This this man, his name was David Sims. He was an ex-policeman on on a force over in, mm-hmm. in the UK. He had been married several times. He was part of their special patrol group, which I'm not really sure what that entails, but uh, it says that it was quite a controversial group. So I'm thinking maybe something like SWAT, special forces. Okay, type, you know, so something that was pretty something pretty big prestigious. And yes, okay. pretty prestigious. This happened in 1993, so I mean, not as long ago as some of the things we've talked about, but you but know, still quite a while. Quite ago. a while ago, um, a lot's happened. He was kicked off of his special patrol group for attacking an inspector in a drunken rage. Oh. He is now the subject of a massive global manhunt that has been going on since 1993. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, this was because his fourth wife, who he went to the Philippines to find, her name was China Rose. Their okay. La- their last name was Sims. China Rose Sims. Has not been seen since February 14th of 1993. Oh, wow. She vanished shortly after telling her sister Joy that her husband had become increasingly violent in their marriage. And we know he already has has a a tendency. He has a tendency to fly off the handle, especially when he was drinking. Right. She told her sister that he was becoming increasingly violent and that he had told her to her face. That he was going to get someone to kill her because it would be cheaper than getting a divorce. Ooh. So, nasty man. Not, Sounds like Not it. the greatest man here. Fourth marriage, so not super able to keep, you know, the romance yeah. alive. So, you know, he's had this history of violence. He's lost his job. He's been kicked off the force. He's lost his job due to this violence that right. he has. Also a drinking problem mm-hmm. that he has. So... He's on his fourth wife, and now he decides the divorce is too expensive. He's a decently wealthy guy. He doesn't want to go through the rigmarole of her taking his money. He's just going to have her killed. So murders, murders cheaper than cheaper. divorce. Murders cheaper. And so the police have been treating Rose's disappearance as a murder because it's been years and years. Like I said, 1993 was the last time anybody had seen her. Okay. The search has continued. This article that I'm reading from The Guardian uh, was in April of 2001 that says that within the last week, the couple weeks of April in 2001, they had even intensified searches to track him down. Okay, so like, that was 10 years 10 later. 10 years, at least 10 Almost years later. 10 years they're later. still looking for David Sims. They received a tip that he may be living under a new identity in the Far East. Of course, we know that he's familiar with that area. Right. He met his wife in the Philippines. And so, they're saying that he's definitely a suspect in this disappearance. Okay. Technically, David Sims and China Rose Sims have both been missing for years. Oh, he disappeared too? He He has disappeared completely. They've both been officially missing... And so, the police are saying, you know, could be double murder, not likely, but possible, because after seven years of no contact, a person can be presumed legally dead in the UK. Okay. And so, just a little background on David Sims. He joined the police force in the 60s. He was very popular. He was very charismatic. Uh Uh-huh. 
Um, but as soon as he was put on this special forces group, they say his personality started changing. Mm-hmm. They say that these special officers are often first to attend disputes. A lot of them have been accused of using excessive force where it wasn't needed. Um, Just kind of a sticky situation in general. Right. Um, SPG is what they're called. Um, In general, was implicated in the death of a London teacher after a demonstration. Mm -hmm. Like, these people were demonstrating in South Hall, England. Okay. And so, a lot of them, you know, may have anger problems. They're rough and tumble type of group. Yeah. They said that David Sims soon began drinking heavily and showing very violent tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, three wives had divorced him, citing his violent temper tantrums as reasons for dissolving the marriages. Okay. And so after his drunken, violent outburst with a, 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 an inspector of his special police group, he had been fired. So he's lost three wives he's and a job. He's lost three wives and a job due to drinking and, you know, heavy violence. And he also tried his hand at running a pub. Okay. Didn't work out. Did he drink all the profit? <laughs> I was just going to say I assume that probably the drinking had a part in it, too. He started a secondhand furniture chain that was actually pretty successful. Like consignment furniture. Okay. Stuff. He met and married China Rose who was 20 years younger than him. Okay. During he they met during a business trip when he went to the Philippines mm-hmm. to order furniture. Uh the couple was married in February of 1988. So they weren't married a super long time. No, 88 five, to 93. 5 years, 5 years here. And they returned to the UK. He convinced her to move to the UK with okay. him. Okay. In 1991, David Sims bought a really dilapidated house in South End that they moved into with a friend and his friend's wife because they all went into business together and they were uh, they were renovating this house, this really big, nice, okay, old, dilapidated, but nice house. Had good bones. Okay. But during this time, David Sims adopted the business name of Anthony Peter Lewis. So he started using a different name. He uses a different name, apparently in association with this business that he's running. Okay. Probably because if you Googled David Sims, the things you would find were not too great. Being kicked off the police force and, you know. Changing your name isn't fishy at all. Right, exactly. Especially when we know what's coming. His, His neighbors only knew him as Tony. Oh. Okay. So, so they didn't know his real they name They don't at all. know. They don't know his past. They don't know anything. He essentially married China Rose and started a new life. Okay. Okay. They spent a year renovating the house. Mm-hmm. And he then took Rose to Thailand with him to buy shop fittings to do his resale business in the okay. UK. The trade didn't go well. He was very upset about that. That's when the violent tendencies started coming okay. back out. He was stressed. He was under pressure. Things weren't moving in his direction. Okay. In early 1993, which is the year she disappeared, China Rose took a part-time job at an old people's home to try to help make them money. Okay. Soon afterwards, she told her sister that she was living in fear of David Sims. Oh. Who had beaten her on a regular basis since this oh. trade stuff had not gone well and his yeah. life was not good. <laughs> Again, that's puppies. Playing doggies, playing doggies. 
Okay, guys. <laughs> There's one giant one and one really small one, and it's hilarious, but they get very <laughs> rowdy. Okay, so um, she got a job to help out. I'm under the assumption, of course, all we can do is assume that she was hoping that maybe she could help out financially and ease the, the stress a little bit. Right. Because since the business hadn't been doing too well, he had become beat it, like violent and beating her on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, she wanted to leave, but she had nowhere to go. All of her family was back in the Philippines. There was no easy way for her to get out of the UK. Okay. She was last seen at a Valentine's Day party in 1993. So he took her to a Valentine's party. He took her to a Valentine's Day party. The last firm sightings of her was alone in their home. Okay. Okay. This They say that the last firm sightings, they seen her a month later, but for a whole month from February to March, she was completely secluded at their house. Okay, so they went to this Valentine's Day dance. And that was publicly the last time anybody had seen her. Okay. Publicly. So who was creeping on her to see her when she's alone at the house? I'm not very sure. I don't know if this was just the account of the neighbors saying, you know, we think we saw her in the house up until March. Okay, but nobody knows. But around town, but around town in the marketplace, nobody had seen her. Nobody, nobody in the area had seen her since February of. And if she was working, then she was. She was no longer exactly from February on. She was no longer going to work. She was no longer being seen in town. The last time anybody said that they thought that they had seen her was in the home. Okay. Um, Although they have yet to find her body. They're convinced that she's been murdered. Despite being devoted to her father, who was very ill at the time, when she disappeared, her father has died. She had no contact with him after February. So no contact with the family that she was close to. contact with the family. And, I mean, she was pretty close to the sister to be able to disclose the abuse. And, like, like they said, she was very devoted to her father and was trying to send him money. And and tried to help take care of him as much as she could. And then all of a sudden there was nothing. There's nothing. Uh, the dad passes away and there's nothing from oh, that's her. That's so sad. Yeah. She made no attempts to check on his health or contact any of her brothers or sisters. Which I'm sure was highly unusual. Very, very unusual. So we're going to jump to 1996. Okay. Three years later, the Essex police traveled to the home of a Jeffrey Paston who was living off the island of Milan okay. at the time, Paston said that David Sims, two years earlier, had asked him to sell the South End house and put the proceeds in a new bank account under the name of Anthony Peter Lewis. Okay, so was this the house that they had this been working on? This is the house on? that they had been working on and had lived in. Okay. They had gotten it all renovated and everything, had spent a year renovating. And he had come up with that new name. So now he has a new bank account under that name. He has a new name and a new bank account under Anthony Peter Lewis. Not feeling suspicious at all. Right. Uh, They got about 40000 for the house, which was pretty good, seeing as how terrible it was when they first started. Okay. It was collected by a man claiming to represent David Sims. Who may have then been flown to Thailand. They think that maybe he had gone to Thailand. Okay. Paston, the guy that had sold the house for him, was destitute and living off handouts from his family. 
Oh. He told the police that he feared for his life and that heavy characters were involved in both the disappearance of David Sims and his wife. So is he saying maybe that he was into something and maybe both of them were murdered? Possibly. I mean, he wasn't sure. He knew that it was very suspicious circumstances, whatever it was. Okay. At least 10,000, and we're talking pounds because we're in the UK, 10,000 pounds of the sale proceeds from the house, Mm -hmm. they've gotten 40 for it, 10,000 to this day remain in a British bank account under the name of Anthony Peter Lewis that has not been touched. Oh, wow. There's been no attempts to access the funds. There's been no spending from this account since 1993. But the rest of it had been used? Yes, 30,000 okay. of it is unaccounted for. They they don't, it has been taken well, out of the account. how do you walk away from 10,000 pounds? Exactly. And I mean, and, and if we're talking about even somebody that may have done this to them, why would they not have just cleared that bank account Exactly. Out? Police believe that the, this means David Sims is either dead or has found a highly lucrative alternative source of income that he could have just dropped that account and used a different name. They think that he may have gotten involved in heroin trafficking. Okay. I guess because that's a really big deal in Thailand and a lot of people that aren't from there tend to set up, you know, drug running operations. Yeah. One detective working on the case said that David Sims had connections with bar businesses in both Milan and Thailand. And it is possible that he may have begun trading in drugs at these bars. Okay. It's also possible that he may have been murdered as a result of such shady business dealings. After he left the police force, he was known to be associating with not the greatest of people. So, David Sims also has two daughters by his first marriage, and he wasn't really close to either and didn't wasn't really around when they were growing up. He always sent them birthday and Christmas cards. And both of these daughters have claimed to have heard nothing for the last seven years. Okay, so I had to look this up because I don't know anything about pounds. Yeah. But 10,000 pounds is approximately $12,888. So like $13,000 yeah. that's just sitting there. And that's quite a bit of that's money a to just large chunk of change. walk off from. Exactly. And so, this money hasn't been touched. Um, this Again, this, this article was in 2001. And his daughters haven't heard from him. And his daughters hadn't heard from him in at least seven years. His eldest wow. daughter, Linda, is now convinced that his father is dead. Okay. She said that he was a bit cocky and also had a terrible temper. Mm-hmm. And that he could have well gotten himself into some trouble. And her exact quote is, I believe he came to a very sticky end. Okay, that, to me, makes perfect sense. Yes, and so that's pretty much where all of the information ceases. We know that she's not around. We know that China Rose has not been seen since Valentine's Day of 93. Right. We know that there's been no actual sightings of him since February of 1993 as well. David Sims ceased to exist. But it sounds like he had the money from that house... Put into a different account and then he With used his part of it. Used part of it, possibly to start either another bar business or to possibly start himself in the trafficking game. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a person that has a bad temper and also, a, you know, a history of, of alcohol abuse, drug running probably isn't going to be very good for you. 
I mean, we've all seen Scarface. We kind of know what happens when people that, that are addicted to things start, you know, mm-hmm. messing with drug trafficking. They tend to get very paranoid and very upset. He could have barked up the wrong tree and ended up, you know, Right. Because dead. he what they were desperate for money. They, they weren't were, doing very yes, good. They weren't doing very well. So, so, big mystery, not necessarily, uh, oh my gosh, what happened, because there's all kinds of speculation. You know, you could go, he was in shady business dealings and they were both murdered together. You could go, he murdered her and then took off on a life of his own and ended up finding his own messy end because of the mm-hmm. things he was dealing with. Right. There's no evidence to, like, really deny or support any of those claims. All we know is there's an alias, there's money, there's money that's not been touched. But then again, if he had another alias, he wouldn't be able to touch that bank account if he right. if he wasn't going by Anthony anymore. And he knew they were looking at that bank account. Yes, and he knew that the, the neighbors around the South End home knew him as Anthony. So if he was looking to avoid being caught for a murder, he would mm-hmm. have to get another alias in pretty quickly. You know, but I would think if he were planning to kill his wife, he would have a big life insurance policy. And that would have been reported. So I'm wondering you if know, he was into some things and maybe they came in and just killed got into her. Deep. And he knew that that's what it was, so he tried to take off, but then they found he him and, and ended up caught. ending him too. I mean, and that's that's the mystery part of it because with the shady dealings and with the connections that he had, it's highly likely that he could have hired somebody to murder her, but it's also highly likely that somebody could have killed both of them. Right. You know, it's also highly likely that, you know, maybe he hired somebody to, to murder her and ended up not paying the, that person. You know, you yeah. deal with shady people, shady things tend to happen to you. Or maybe they both got killed and somebody else used his alias to get to the get money. the money. Yes, because it was three years after she disappeared that the house was sold. And somebody contacted his business partner and said, Have it put into this. Yes. Account. Yeah. They had never okay. had any, they hadn't had any direct contact with David Sims at all. Interesting. It was somebody working on his behalf. A proxy, apparently. Very interesting. So, I mean, he could have been on the run, or somebody could have stolen his identity and killed them both. So, big question mark there. But the last time anybody seen any of them concretely was on Valentine's Day in 1993. And we have no bodies. And we have no, no bodies. We have no evidence. We have nobody, you know, taking claim of this. And we also have almost 13,000 American dollars that are just sitting in a bank account right now. Okay. So, if anybody has any information or has heard any rumors about this, I would love for you guys to contact us on our Facebook page. And or let me Twitter know. Or, or Instagram. Or Twitter or Instagram. Major, or email. Major social media plugs here. Because this is just one of those things that I feel like it's probably only going to be solved by word of mouth. Right. Like somebody is going to tell somebody something and it's going to lead to all these little tiny bits and pieces being put together. But we'd love to hear your theory. Yes, exactly. That's a, that's another thing we would love to hear. I mean, I am a armchair sleuth. <laughs> I love to concoct my own you know, Lisa's gonna solve it. I'm gonna solve this, and I need your help. That's that's what I'm getting down to. I will scour the world trying to find this here. 
But, uh, so yeah, that is our Valentine's Day murder and mystery. So those were two short stories. Very short, but very intriguing and very mysterious. Shows that Valentine's Day doesn't always have to be hearts and flowers. Sometimes it can be pretty bloody. It can be pretty bloody and pretty nasty. Not necessarily for lovers, you guys. So watch out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.